Lord, we thank you for this time. We have come to your house, O Lord, to hear from you and to hear your voice. Therefore, I pray, Lord, you will cause us to incline our ear to your voice. Lord, have mercy upon us. Speak to us, O Lord. We humble ourselves before thee. Father, we come to you knowing that you and you alone have the words of life. Not the words of man, but the words of God. I pray, Father, that even as we begin to hear our word, the word, O Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Let this be your word. But whatever is your word, O Lord, let it stand. And whatever is of man and of the flesh, let it just fall to the ground this evening. We came to hear from you. Father, we believe, O Lord, because we came to hear from you, we will be blessed because we came. To that end, I pray that you would anoint us, our hearing and our speaking. And Lord, let your word take its root into the deepmost parts of our inner man. And cause us to walk in your ways. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. It was surreal today during the baptism service. I was, when I went and saw the baptism tank, for the very first time in my life I saw a tank which was shaped like a cross. I couldn't just, initially I was like a little surprised, what is that? It's weird pattern and then I looked a little close and it just came to my mind because I was, uh, during the baptism class, I was teaching the, 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 the brethren who were getting baptized and I was teaching them, you know what? When you are getting baptized, you identify yourself with three things. You identify yourself with the death of Jesus. You identify yourself with the burial of Jesus. You identify yourself with the resurrection of Jesus. Three things. And I told them and I said, you know what? It is not just any ordinary death. It is the death on the cross. That is what you identify yourself with. And it was amazing when I went there. It was the cross and it just came to my mind. I said, boy, isn't this surreal? I said, boy, Lord, you have, you're just amazing. And it was really, really a fantastic time we had in the morning. And I'm sure you all were blessed uh, to see brethren who uh, came to uh, get baptized. But of course, as pastor was uh, encouraging us and exhorting us in the morning, it is just the beginning. Okay. Uh, And it's... uh, also interesting that uh, we generally typically have baptisms on a independence day just to remind ourselves that freedom should be guarded and the guarding of the freedom comes at a price gaining freedom is one thing but being free and enjoying the freedom is a completely different ball game altogether you see one man of God said, said, I mean, I was recently listening to Derek Prince and he was the one who was actually saying, he was quoting Billy Graham, if, if I'm right. He said, he says, it is, it takes 5% effort to get a man saved, but it, it takes 95% effort to keep a man saved. See, it takes 10% effort maybe to get a man delivered, but it takes 90% effort to keep the man to walk in his deliverance. That is a total different ball game altogether. And we've been looking at deliverance in our church and deliverance from different, different um, spirits. And of course, I am not an expert in that. But one of the things that I've learned over a period of time is to learn, of course, through 
studying and to through practicing in some some sense as to how we can keep our deliverance and that's what that's what I want to talk about today see because when they entered into the promised land you you need to understand something very interesting you know Joshua not only conquered new territory before he conquered new territory he always consolidated the territory that he conquered already you see you, there's no point in conquering new territory when you lose the territory that you already conquered right it's it's useless that then uh, freedom or, or, or deliverance doesn't make any sense. So even though we know that deliverance is progressive in nature, we don't go back to the same old things that we fall, uh, that we that used to uh, t- trouble us or uh, that used to torment us. And, and, and therefore it is important for us to consolidate and to stay in deliverance. How do we stay delivered is something which I want to look at. And you'll find this in uh, Gospel according to Luke chapter 11 verse 20 to 26. Uh, this is of course right from the horse's mouth as pastor say, said in one of his sermons on deliverance. Look at what it says in 20, 20 onwards. But if I cast out demons by the finger of the Lord, finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own place, palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me. He who is not, uh, he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And then he comes to this amazing verse, 24 and 25. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places and other translations will use the word waterless places. He goes through waterless or dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house which I came. You need to understand, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit considers this our home and even the demons consider this our home. So that's what he's saying. Even the unclean spirits, they said, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. And what happens? Verse 26. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. You see, it's it's a real dangerous thing to, to become a Christian actually. Okay. It's, it's, it's really, really, really tough. I, mean, I, I, um, I, I heard the title of a book. It's called The Dangerous Calling. And of course it was primarily to preachers, but yes, preachers is a dangerous calling, but I believe it is true for, for all believers. It's a dangerous calling. If you are not in it, 100%, you're not in it at all. So it's very important for us to understand this. This is, we are not playing games, okay? This is not playing games. This is life and death. This is eternity. So we take the word of God seriously, even in our own church. So a lot of preparation that goes. Why? Because this is life and death. This. And, and, and of course, what, uh, you just look, look at this previous verse. He says, he finds it swept and put in order. And then the, the last state of the man is worse than the first. And why does this happen? Matthew, Gospel into Matthew chapter 12 adds something very interesting over there. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 12 verses 43 to 45. When unclean spirit, the same thing. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. The same thing. And when he comes, what does he do? 
Ah, he finds it empty. You see, we are a vacuum. I think Frederick Nietzsche is the one who said that. Our heart is an idle factory. It is looking for something to worship. And it sucks in. It's like a vacuum, if you see, if you will. So it finds it empty, swept and put in order. So what does this guy do? Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. They enter and dwell there and the last state of the man is worse than the first and then he had something very interesting. He says, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. Very strong warning. So therefore, don't be empty. See, there is one thing kicking out the lies in your heart. But unless you fill the lies with truth, see, one thing to have healing, there is another thing to enjoy health. What do you want? Most believers, if you ask them this question, healing. That's easy. Health, tough. Health requires a lot of effort to stay healthy. You have to eat well, you have to eat on time, you have to watch your diet, you have to watch your exercise, everything. See, that, that takes a lot of effort. Healing, one day you come to the church and get delivered. The kingdom of God, you preach, somebody preaches the kingdom and you get your deliverance. But enjoying health, that is a total different ballgame altogether. And therefore, the apostles understood this. Now, we fill ourselves with truth, right? But what does it mean to fill ourselves with truth? What does it actually primarily mean? Follow this carefully. This is Apostle John. They understood this. This is what he says in one of his epistles. This is Third John chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. This is, what, this is what he says. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and... Oh, no, no, experience healing. Does he say that? No. Be in health even as your soul prospers. Okay? So he's, he's telling, beloved, my, my aim and my prayer for you is that you enjoy health, not just get healing. I, 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 my, my, my prayer is that you enjoy prosperity even as your soul prospers. Okay? That you don't just have physical prosperity that you and you have leanness in your soul, you're fat in your soul, you're healthy both in your soul and in your spirit and in your body. You enjoy health. So so how does he, how do we enjoy health? So he gives a ground clause, right? And the ground clause starts with the word for. I like that word for, okay? For I rejoice greatly when brother came to you and testified what? Of the truth where? In you. See, that is how you enjoy health. It is not the amount of truth that is in you. It is the truth that you are in you. That is the reason why it says Christ in you, the hope of glory. See? See, that is how you enjoy health by having truth as a person within yourself. That is... Did Jesus ever experience sickness? No. That is the reason why the death is very important. Specific death. What is that? Death on a cross. 
not it is not death by sickness it is not death by overeating it is not death by natural calamity it is not death by accident it is death by murder it is a it is a death on the cross it is a specific death and he was absolutely without blemish it says he was a lamb without spot without blemish 33 and a half years old at the prime of his life that is what he gave to god okay so you need to understand the truth will lead you to health do we find this in uh, in the old in the new new testament or you find this paradigm even in the old testament one of the words that i'm using these days often is paradigm or pattern, okay? So you'll find this in Isaiah chapter 33. I love this, okay? Isaiah chapter 33. What are the verses? Let's everybody read. 22 and 24. So we should start with which verse? Oh no, I'll not start with 22. I'll start with 24 because it's poetry. Okay, poetry is uh, all the other way. So let's start with verse 24. Look at what it says. And no inhabitant will say, what? I'm sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. How many of you don't want to be sick? Let me see your hands. Oh yeah, fantastic. Then he gives the ground clause as to how to enjoy lack of sickness or health. Do you want to know that? So where do you, where do you find that? Oh, you find it in verse 22. Look at what it says. The crown clause for <laughs> the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. Therefore, I will not be sick. Meaning, God is the Lord of my of my life. He's a lawgiver. Meaning, he will tell me what to eat and not to eat. Okay? He will give me, he will tell me where to, what to see and not to what to see. He will tell me how to judge myself. He will tell me that, you know, unless I am your king, you will really not enjoy health. This is what we call as lordship principle. And for many believers, Lord is not the Lord. I mean, we can, can we honestly say that God is the Lord of my food habits? Oh my goodness. Really? I mean, especially in India, we love sweets. We have a love with sweets and we can eat as many sweets as possible. Right from childhood. Honestly, right? What is, why do we have diabetes in our country? Simply because we consume sweets. Especially in North India. I mean, North India is even more crazy. They have breakfast, jalebi and milk. Hot, hot jalebi and milk for breakfast. That used to be my, <laughs> one of the menus in my breakfast when I was in North India and Kanpur some, some time back. And you know, all the goodies. jalebi. That is what they eat. Okay. This, this, See, honestly, so, so, and how do you think we'll enjoy, enjoy, uh, um, uh, health? If God is not the Lord of our food habits, if He is not the Lord of our watching habits, if He is not the Lord of our dieting, whatever it is, if He is not the Lord of our lives, He is, we are not going to enjoy health, you see. We come back to this, therefore. Truth in you. And therefore, when we come to church, we say, you know what? Fill yourselves with truth. Over and over again. Let it become a part of you. I'm honestly telling you. you know, it's my personal experience. Personal experience. I used to work in a lab. Okay. Nine to six on Wednesdays. Nine to six. Coding, 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 coding. Frustrated. 
depressed. I would never get the result. Honestly, I'm telling you. This is, I, I, I remember those days. Never used to get the result. And I said, Lord, should I continue? Or should I go to church? On Wednesday evening service. Okay. And my boss also used to think, did you get the result? I said, sir, six o'clock already now. I have to leave from Gachiboli. You wouldn't believe it. I used to say, oh, Lord, I'm going. I would just to come with the spirit of depression. I, you don't know if you work in a lab, how you will, you will get frustrated sometimes when you don't get the result. You are literally under pressure. And it comes to come, I used to walk in. Worship is to go on. By the time the word is over, I'm absolutely refreshed. I would just experience deliverance. I would say, Pastor, oh Lord, that was for me. <laughs> it's personal experience. I'm not speaking in the air. I've ex- ex- uh, tested this in my own life. You see? And therefore I'd never... Why do we... See, after they got baptized, one of the first things they did was they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. It's very interesting that those days in the old... I mean, when the first church started, they would never baptize people. Okay? I mean, or rather, they would never teach people who are not baptized. They would never teach them. You know, they would say, why should I waste my time on you, whom you are not, you are not even given commitment to, you know, lifelong discipleship. Why should I even waste my time on you? They would never even teach them. Of course, now things have changed because they don't even know what baptism is. So we have to teach them first what baptism actually means. They understood baptism. When they went into the waters of baptism, they understood that they were cutting off from their from their old life, from their old relatives there. They were just making a total spiritual disconnection. They were inviting the wrath of God, wrath of the enemy over their lives. They knew what they were doing. Okay, for example, if you are a guy who's in the Middle East and you are, if you made a decision to get baptized, I don't have to teach you because I know that you're ready. You see? But now in our, our countries, we don't, still don't know what baptism actually means. Therefore, Therefore, it's, it's understood, it's therefore, we need to really take opportunities to, 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 uh, you know, uh, give ourselves, give ourselves opportunities to study the word. Therefore, it says in Ephesians chapter 5, do not be drunk with wine, uh, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the spirit. And how do you, and how do you do that? Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and the songs from the spirit. It's, it's interesting, it starts with psalms. And then it goes to hymns, ahaha. And then it says songs of the spirit. Hmm? Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what he says, be filled with the spirit. But what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? Okay, Colossians chapter 3 will say something very interesting. Let the word of Christ dwell you dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So you know what is what is he saying? If you want to be filled with the spirit, you should be filled with the word. Because the word of God will not the spirit of God will not work in a vacuum. How do you be filled with the spirit? Okay, you know, we do that prayer, right? Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. If you being evil fathers can give good gifts to children, how much your father in heaven will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? But what is asking? Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Galatians will say something very interesting. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Listen to this. 
Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing from faith? So how do you receive the spirit when you hear now? And if you hear from faith, you receive the Holy Spirit. That is how you ask. You know how do you ask? You ask God by coming and giving opportunities for yourself to listen to the word over and over and over and over again. So, so don't, don't have vacuum inside of you. Okay. That is what Jesus will say in John's gospel, in John's gospel chapter 8. Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And then what says, what does he say? He, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And what do they say? Oh, we are Abraham's descendants. We have been, never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say unto you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. See that? And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. Look at this. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, we need to ask ourselves this question. So, if we are walk, what does it mean to walking, to walk in the truth? Okay, we'll come to certain, some things that we, that we can learn. Okay, what does it mean to walk in the truth? It doesn't mean that we are absolutely sinless, that we will never sin anymore. Uh, oh, by the way, I mean, I, I, we don't use it in our church a lot, we, at all, but, you know, one of the, one, one man of God, you know, he said very interesting. He said, whenever I baptize people, I ask them a few questions, like the covenant questions. One of the questions that I ask him, okay, first question, have you repented of all your sins? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And the third thing he says, do you want to sin anymore? It's not, will you sin anymore? No, no, because we will all sin. But the point he's asking is, do you want to sin anymore? And, I mean, that's a fantastic question to ask, no? The guy is there in the baptism. I don't know, let me get out. (laughs) See, because this this is very interesting. This is very important for us to understand, you see. Do you want to sin? salvation does something to us. It is not that we will not sin. Therefore, walking in the truth does not mean that we will not sin. Walking in the truth means that we are true no matter what our situation is. See? Okay. So let's see. 1 John chapter 1. So what does it mean? So to walk in the truth. 1 John chapter 1, we know this verse very well, verse 6 onwards, chapter 1 verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That means it is not that you will be sinless. There will be a continuous cleansing that you will be experiencing and you will be going to greater and greater levels of holiness in your life and victory over sin. And then he says, look at what he says. If we say that we have what? No sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is, ah, you see that the truth is not, it's not that we don't sin anymore. It is that we are willing to confront our sin honestly. That is what it means. And therefore he says, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. You got that? Everybody? Therefore, it's not that we will have sinless perfection, but there is a daily battle with sin in our lives and we are walking blameless before God. That is what it means to walk in truth. Okay, And we are doing it over and over again to greater and greater levels of holiness and separation. But how do we achieve this is important. Okay. Uh, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves, I mean, sometimes some people don't get delivered at all. Why? Why do some people not get delivered? Or why do some people, after they got delivered, why do they not walk in their deliverance? Why does it happen? Why do they not have the truth inside of them? What, what fights truth in their lives? Is a question that we need to ask. Oh, what is walking in the truth? Therefore, John will again say, you know, what, this is what he says in John's Gospel, chapter 3. He who believes in him is not condemned. We, we sang that song, right? In Christ alone, my hope is found. No condemnation we dread. Okay, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Second, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, but men, what? Loved darkness. You know what that means? They enjoy darkness unconditionally. And you see, Love, what is the opposite of love? And they go together. Love and hate go together. If you are loving something, you hate something. He says, rather than light because their deeds were evil, for everyone who practicing, who everyone practicing evil, what, is, what does he do? He hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that he, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Now, first principle, I want to know, how, when will I be delivered? I will be delivered when this happens. We get delivered and can walk in our deliverance only when we are desperate. You see? No desperation. See, I'll, I'll tell you honestly, faith without works is dead. For me, faith without desperation is dead. Desperate. That is exactly what happened to the Syrophoenician lady. This is food is not for the dogs. Call me a dog. You call me anything. Give me deliverance. You see? Call me anything. See, question therefore is, are we desperate? Now, how do we know that we are desperate? Pastor James taught us long time back. I don't know if somebody remembers, but let me bring back to remembrance about this very interesting episode in the life of Pharaoh. And I'm going to read it in the NIV. It's funny in the NIV, okay? This is found in Exodus chapter 8, verse 5 onwards. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and stretch your hand with your staff over the streams and the canals and the ponds and make frogs come up from the land of Egypt. Kappalo. Frogs by the millions are coming out of the ponds from the Nile. It's Whole place is stinking. Okay. 
I mean, in the colloquial, it's even more intense. Okay. So Aaron stretched out his hand over waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. I mean, just imagine this, okay? This in your mind, say, close your eyes and frogs, frogs, frogs all over. As, as if this were not enough. You know what the, what the Pharaoh does? Call the magicians. But the magicians also did the same thing. They came and by their secret hearts created more frogs. What nonsense. Can you see the blindness of this guy? Frogs are causing so much of a problem. Call the magicians to, what should they, what should he have asked him? Please do something to get rid of the frogs. But what do they do? They also create frogs. Now the frogs are so much, those fellows cannot kill the frogs and get the frog, get the, get rid of the frogs. And then, Pharaoh is really, really frustrated now. No, he understands that these fellows are useless. They can, he can, they can do nothing. You know, their, by the way, their power is getting rid, lessened and lessened and lessened. The next time they understand it is the finger of God. Okay. So Janus and Jambres, Baba, you can take whatever. Dash, dash, dash. Okay. So, and then, and then, and then, and then Pharaoh is frustrated. He says, call Moses. Calls Moses. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to the to take the frogs away from me and my people and I will let your people go to offer the sacrifices to the Lord. Please do something. This is tormenting me so much. It's stinking. And then, you know what? Moses asked Pharaoh a very interesting question. Look at what it says. Moses said to Pharaoh, I will leave you the honor of setting the time. <laughs> Okay, for me to pray for you and your officials and your people. You see, God knows the hearts of people. Okay, He says, okay, when do you want these frogs to get out of this place? What will you say, Brunda? Now? You know what Pharaoh says? Tomorrow. In other words, ah, last one night. Let me, let, let me enjoy. It's, it's, it's one, one. You see, tomorrow... Let me enjoy these frogs for one last time in my bed. It's, it's all over the place. You know what? You know, frogs stand for unclean spirits. That was I learned a long time back in our church. I was amazed. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. I mean, you know something? We look at frogs like that. But do we look at sin like that? You see, these are all frogs. They're all just a, it's, it's an outward symbol of an inward reality. It's like, you know, uh, let me just take the last puff. Okay, last puff, last cigarette. Okay, last pet. Tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. You see? That is the reason why if you're not desperate for your deliverance, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't say tomorrow. And by the way, tomorrow will never come. Are we desperate for our deliverance? And that is the reason why First Peter chapter 4 verse 1 will say, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Change your thinking, Baba. Okay, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Why? The ground clause. You see, boy, you know, Bible is full of arguments and propositions and theorems. Look at it, he gives a ground clause, a fisherman giving a ground clause, that's interesting, okay? It's not a mathematician. For, you have spent 
enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, crossing, detestable idolatry. Do you think that you have spent sufficient time in all these things? Yes, then you are ready. You know, a lot of people, they don't want to get deliverance because they enjoy their sin. There's so much of pleasure in it. Last movie, last puff, last drink, last girl. <laughs> no. You see? It's interesting that they have a bachelor's party. And you know what bachelor's party is? In the US, it's not like that we have in our church. It's very, very holy. We only give you eggs. All the young men are laughing. You don't know what our bachelor's party is, okay? Alright, see. Therefore, you should be desperate for your deliverance. If you are not desperate, you can forget about it. Are we desperate? You know what Psalm 32 will say? Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer at a time that you may be found surely in the rush of waters, they shall not reach you. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So one of the first laws of deliverance, you know, we call it the first law of holes. What do we call it? First law of holes. I got this from Chuck Missler. He's gone, to, gone home to be with the Lord. He died on the 31st of March, 2018. This is what he says. The first law of holes, stop digging. Okay? Okay, you got it. That means don't dig a deeper pit. Stop. Stop it. Just not stop digging. Start crying. Second, out of my, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. It's a desperation. You see? Have you seen the desperate cry of this man? Psalm 130. Start crying out. Jonah chapter 2 verse 2, 3. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. That is what it's, it's hell basically. I cried out and you heard my voice for you cast me in the deep into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. First question. First question. Are we desperate for our deliverance? Only desperate people get delivered. You see, a lot of people are desperate for some areas, but they're not very desperate in other areas. I remember Derek Prince talking about, you know, one guy who used to suffer from alcoholism a lot. But the problem is, when he was delivered, he was only delivered from the, the demon of alcoholism. But there were other demons inside of him, a demon of lying and a demon of everything, everything else. He was not, because every addiction comes along with several other demons. Because you have to lie a lot to feed your addiction. You see? So a lot of people are just only desperate for a part of it because, you know, they it just burns their pocket or gives them bad health. But they're actually not deli- uh, desperate for complete deliverance. That is a different ballgame altogether. Okay. Second principle. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. Men love darkness rather than light. And they they love darkness, they hate light. So in order to get delivered, what should you do? Love, light, hate. It's very simple, no? Both saral baat hai. Love, 
darkness no love light hate darkness well what does it mean true deliverance only when you hate sin okay see okay so i want to understand what it means to hate first before i go for understanding what it means to hate god loves and god hates we need to understand that god is the one who who's who's got real real passionate feelings okay you can never say that god is a god of love only because you will not know what love is unless you know what hate is so psalm 45 verse 6 to 7 this was what he says your throne o lord god is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom and then what you love righteousness and hate wickedness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions this is about jesus of course this is exactly what is quoted in hebrews chapter 1 that he loved righteousness and he hated wickedness or lawlessness okay now you can say okay he only loves righteousness and he hates wickedness but look at goes one step ahead this is not my word this is god's word so if you have a problem with him you just go to him no i'll tell you something i i heard a man of god saying something very interesting he said if you do not present the clear picture of god when you're evangelizing you don't get conversion you get perversion let me tell you honestly what we have in most churches are christian perverts it's a perversion it's a crookedness i'm telling you honestly this is so so very important for us to understand you read the entire historical narrative how many of you did your homework what is the homework okay okay so you are at least how many of you are in the process of doing your homework that's a very good question right okay fine <laughs> okay so you read the entire historical narrative okay you have solomon at the end of his life he messes up the kingdom there's a division that is going on kingdom gets divided jeroboam gets 10 tribes rehoboam gets two tribes we studied it in our church i'm just refreshing it okay and i'm studying it more intensely these days you see jeroboam a prophet comes and speaks into his life very clearly saying that god has given you 10 tribes and if you walk in the commandments of god god is going to establish your kingdom forever but jeroboam gets a thought saying if i allow people to go to jerusalem to worship where the true god is okay what is going to happen to me is one day they will all become one and they will come against me so what does jeroboam do he does a perversion he creates a two golden cows one at dan and one at bethel and he says these are the gods that brought you out of egypt or israel you don't have to go to jerusalem so he makes a perversion and a man of god comes and speaks judgment on him and he speaks about a particular king and prophesies about a particular king who is that king 
got it. Josiah, you know your history. Now the point is this. You read the entire history of Israel. Next king comes. You know what he says? They sinned against the Lord. They did not forsake the sin of Jeroboam. Next king comes. They sinned against the Lord. They did not go again. I mean, they committed the sin of Jeroboam. Next king comes. They sinned against the Lord. They, they did not forsake the sin of Jeroboam. Next thing, Ahab comes. No, he goes worse. He starts building an altar for Baal and everybody is worshipping Baal. Now something very interesting happens. There is one of the descendants of Ahab. You know what he does? He says, you know what? This Baal worship is too much. This is not the true worship. He destroys the altars of Baal. You're going to do your homework. Who's that king? Find out. He destroys the altar of Baal. And what are you expecting now? He goes back to Jerusalem to worship. No, 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 no. He goes back to the perversion created by Jeroboam. You know what the scripture says? He destroyed the altars of Baal, but he continued in the sense of Jeroboam. You have a revival ostensibly, but that revival is not conversion. It is perversion. And therefore, let me tell you honestly, when we read the Bible, when we read some parts of the Bible and we look at this word hate, oh my God does not hate it. Huh? Who said that? Who said that? Who said that to you? You know, I'm not, I'm being honest. I'm, I've heard real big solid Bible scholars making this statement. You know what? He said, if we actually speak this truth, a lot of people will lose their faith. We can actually say the truth, say the message. He says, we can preach the message and we can hide from the congregation what we actually think. This is what they say. You know what that is? It is a perversion and not conversion and we have perverts in Christendom. Do you know that? They have perverts in Christendom. They don't have any idea about what the holiness of God means. Because they don't know what God loves and what God hates. Therefore they don't know. They only know how to say yes to something. They don't have the power to say no. See that? Therefore, look at what it says in Malachi chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Says the Lord. Yet I loved Jacob and hated Esau. Do you see that? God loves righteousness. Hates iniquity. God loves Jacob. Hates Esau. Esau is an idea or a person? Huh? Person? Let me show you another verse. Proverbs chapter, Psalms chapter 5, verses 4 to 5. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, which is action, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And therefore, we need to understand, we need to ask ourselves this question. 
do I really want to enjoy my deliverance or to walk in my deliverance? Question that I need to ask is, do I hate my sin? And most of the times what happens is, people are kept comfortable in their sin. They are not made to hate their sin. How does this happen? Look at what it says in Psalm 36 verses 1 and 2. I like the NIV. Look at what it says. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. Look at this. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Did you hear this anywhere in the New Testament? Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 3. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then, then what he says. In their own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate sin. In other words, if I don't have a message from God which causes me to detect and hate my sin, I will never enjoy deliverance. You don't understand that. Therefore, the preaching of the word, and most of the time it's just flattery if it's, if it's not confronting your sin. Psalm 139, you know there is a very interesting hatred. Hatred is a verb, right? It's an adjective which qualifies the verb. I hope my English is right. Okay, let me just read it. This is Psalm 139. This is, this is what the psalmist says. Verse 21, do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And I... And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with what kind of hatred? Perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. That means there is one hatred which is perfect. And then then he goes on to say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the paths of everlasting life. You see, there is something which you need to ask ourselves. You know, God, Lord, let me hate what you hate. And love what you love. Whatever it is. Okay, so let me hate. What does the Lord hate? Perfectly. What is the number of perfection? Seven. Okay. And the Lord tells us what, what is perfect hatred. Okay. Interestingly, it found, it's found in Proverbs chapter 6. It is what we call x, x plus 1. What is that? x, x plus 1. Okay. x is equal to 6 here. Okay. Because it is Proverbs chapter 6. Hmm? These six things the Lord hates. <laughs> Seven are an abomination to him. What are the six, six plus one, seven things? A proud look. You know what? It is a look. Because pride always shows in your face. It is what we call as defiance with a guise of humility. I, I, I know this. I've seen quite a number of students. They only show this because the lab marks are in my hands. Okay. You know, one professor will tell you, you know why you are doing like this? Because your lab marks are in my hands. After you go out, you know, you score whatever. No? You do something to me. You say something behind my back. It's all, it's what we call as a doeg spirit. Okay. The spirit of doeg. 
I mean, you should read this, the, the entire historical narrative to understand what I'm saying. It's called the spirit of Doek. Who's this Doek fellow? He's there in the temple of the Lord. What is he? He's an Ishmaelite. He's an, he's an Amalekite right in the temple of the Lord. Appointed by who? Saul. So the spirit of Doeg, the spirit of pretense. Read Psalm 32. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. So you need to understand, God loves something, God hates something. The question is, how do we, how do I know that I'm hating something and loving something? How do I know it? Okay, so let us look at some Old Testament par- uh, analogies to get the feeling of hate and love. Okay, this feeling of hate and love. This is from Genesis chapter 29, verse 20 onwards. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him a few days for the, what that he had? Love that he had for her. He loved Rachel so much that he could do anything for her. And he hated Leah so much that he could do anything to be away from her. That is how I know it. I'm not saying this. I mean, think about Rachel as sin. Leah as righteousness. And vice versa. And then what happens? And he went in also unto Rachel and he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah and served him yet seven other years. And then what, you know what the Lord says? And when he saw that Leah was hated, he opened over moon. But Rachel was barren. You know what it means? I'll tell you something. It tells me this. I love something when I enjoy it. A man of God said something very interesting. He said, true freedom is to love to do something when what you love to do is what you ought to do. Okay, let me let me say that again. Okay. True freedom is something when you love to do something when that something is what you ought to do. For example, I'll tell you, for example, from my own life. Uh, my mother, you know, she's here, I can say that. She'll enjoy it as well. It's very funny things. She was crazy about me particularly, okay? She's, I don't know, she possibly saw some potential, I don't know. And she used to make me study like crazy. Through the night sometimes. My dad used to do morning sh- uh, night shift and used to come back at 12 o'clock, 12.30 in the night. And this is during my school days. Okay, You have no idea. GSS, two hours. Fellows, you don't even know. <laughs> okay, so my, mother used to, my dad used to come 12.30 in the night. My eyes are red. She would have pinched me and beat me also sometimes later. You know, and I'm like really not enjoying that situation. Okay, And my dad used to come, open the door and used to say, what a tragic sight this is. Why? Because there's one woman right there and one guy who's like, he's not enjoying what he's doing. You see, 
That's exactly so many people. I mean, I'll tell you something, you know. Some people, they cannot enjoy maths. They endure maths. So they don't, they cannot enjoy freedom because they are not free to enjoy math. But on the other hand, just imagine, they love math and that is what they ought to do for their lives. Isn't that freedom? Ah, You know, many people, you know what they say, all the sportsmen, when they go to the careers, the pinnacle of their careers, now that is a day of, we are living in the days of professional sportsmen. You know what they say? I am so lucky because I get to live out of something which I love to do. That is true freedom. True freedom is when you do something, when what you do something is actually what you ought to do and you love to do it. Okay? So, naturally, are Jacob loves to be with Rachel. <laughs> oh my goodness. He has his eyes. She is a stunning looking girl. Okay. And he can do anything for her. On the same hand, he can do anything to stay out of Leah. What is what he's talking about? Love and hate. Now you'll see this paradigms over and over again in the Bible. There's very another interesting paradigm in Joshua. Look at what this is. Joshua chapter 15. Again, repeated in Judges chapter 1, but let me show you Joshua chapter 15. Look, look, look what is happening. Now, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirath Arba, which is in Hebron. Arba was the father of Enoch. Caleb drove out the three sons of Enoch from there, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Thalmai, the children of Anak. Then what happens? Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly, the name of Debir was Kiriath Sefer, and Caleb sent. He who attacks Kiryat Sefer and takes it to him, I will give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. Now Jewish scholars say that Aksa was a stunner. And there's one guy who was eyeing Aksa all his life. How do I get this one? And Caleb says, get this. No, she should have been looking for a stunner for this fellow to take all these risks. Okay, you know what he does? He goes and conquers it. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave him to Aksa, his daughter, his wife. And what happened? What happened? I mean, he goes there. What is going on over here? You see, true freedom is something that you can take all the risks for and you, you, it is worth it. You know what he would do? And Aksa would have said, Thank you, Othniel. You got this place. And what you would have said? Anything for you, baby. Anything for you. You see? That is how I know that I love sin. I'm sorry, hate sin and love righteousness. When I just want to be with my father. When I want to be with my God. When I want to be with my Jesus. Anything for him. Then I enjoy freedom. That's what I true freedom. What we ought to do is what we love to do. So many of us are enduring. When will this Christian life get over, Baba? Lord, take me home. Hey, you have no idea. Is God not worth it? Is he not worth the risk? Is he not aksa for you? 
the last one. I think which actually summarizes all these. We enjoy true freedom when we are sons and not slaves. That's what pastor was talking about in the morning. I mean, I was actually preparing this message in the morning. And when he was telling me, I said, boy, you had to record this and I sent it all to you. Okay? You listen to it. What he says. Free to love. Free to serve. How can we be free? Unless we love to do it. Romans chapter 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God to put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit are what? The sons of God. And then he says, for because you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What does this mean? Now, by the way, you don't enjoy sonship. Son is obviously grown up before becoming a child first. Everybody, unless the curious case of Benjamin Burton, unless that has happened to you. How many of you saw the the movie? Okay, where he grows young and not old, or he's born old, whatever, no? Whole ultra process. No, you you don't become a son first, unless you are born as a child. So how does God bring us to enjoying math, for example? Or language, or anything, physics, chemistry, whatever. Now tell me something, no? How many of you enjoy poetry? Come on, don't be ashamed. I love it. I just love poetry. Now, if I want to enjoy poetry, can I enjoy poetry without understanding language? No. Without understanding pun? No. I I need to have some categories in my mind established to enjoy. Enjoy poetry, for example. To enjoy movies also. Some people, they don't want movies which, which will cause them to think. They just want to, well, that's okay. But, but, but you know what? You want to enjoy something. Some kind of a system has to be put in place in your mind to be able to enjoy something. Am I right? Yeah. Now, for example, if you want to become a scholar in Greek and you want to enjoy Greek. You have to learn the alphabets in Greek. Okay, you have to learn the alphabets in Hebrew. If you want to enjoy Hebrew, you have to learn the alphabet in Hebrew. Yeah, any language for that matter, you have to learn the alphabet. That is not going to be an easy thing. No, I cannot say, for example, Abigail, eventually, let's say she enjoys, hopefully, math. And 10 years down the line, she'll enjoy math only when she goes through some kind of a rigor, even if she doesn't like that rigor. You understand what I'm saying? No, this is what, I'm just getting a principle out of here. This is Galatians chapter 4. Let me show you what I'm trying to get here. Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ from 
slaves, though he is a master of all, but he is under guardians and tutors until the time appointed by the father. What are the guardians and the tutors doing? Ensuring that the discipline of study. I'm telling you honestly, when my dad used to come home, most of the time, he used to say, Intra vichayidi. Why don't you just study? Why do you want to go through this? But you know something, I'll tell you something. That worked some miracles in my life. I can sit for hours and hours and hours and study. See, there's no problem at all. Oh, no, credit for God, not to them, okay? <laughs> I, can, I can do that. If I enjoy something, Baba, nothing matters. You see, nothing matters. But I had to go through that discipline. What it tells me is this, I could have potential. But I will only experience that potential only when I come under discipline. And you know what Derek Prince makes a very interesting statement. He says, there is no walking in deliverance without discipline. You could have potential, but you need discipline. I'm going to use some examples from the Old Testament to to show what this means, actually, how this comes about. And all are negative. This is found in 2 Samuel chapter 3. Read Kings. We'll enjoy. 2 Samuel chapter 3 verses 2 onwards, and let me... It might look strange to you, but just be patient. We'll get to the point. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahinoam of Jezreel. What does Amnon mean? Aman and Amnon. Amnon same. What does Aman mean? Faithful. So David looks at his son. And he names him, saying, potential faithfulness. That is what I see in this fellow. His second son is Kiliav, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And by the way, the word Kiliav never again appears in the entire Bible after this one place. You know what Kiliav means? Just like his father. What is David? Man after God's own heart. What more do you want? And who's his mother? Ah, someone, one of you were named Abigail. I think she's here. Yeah, Abigail is here. You see? Kiliaf. So nothing is mentioned about Kiliaf. I think this is a positive example. I can assume to be a positive example just because of Abigail. Third son's name is Absalom. My father is peace. Father of peace. The son of Makha, daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. That is what the name Absalom means. Absalom. Shalom of Shalom. Avi Shalom. The father of peace. The cause of peace in the family. Oh, really? So Abigail, cause of joy. Father of joy. Cause of joy. Handmaiden. So cause of joy. Fourth fellow. Adonia. Adon, Adonai means my Lord, my master. Yah, Yahweh is my master. Really? 
What does Amnon do? You need to go to Strong's Concordance and you'll see the name of meaning, meaning of Amnon. Amnon means faithful, inverted commas. The first son of David who raped Tamar. Absalom, cause of peace. And cause of a psalm also. He stirred up his father's heart so much that he wrote a psalm. Not with love, but in flight. Psalm chapter 3. A psalm of David when he fled from his son, Absalom. Lord, (laughs) how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Absalom. Look at his name. And the key as to why this has happened is shown when he talks about his fourth son. It comes into, this is, this comes in 1st Kings chapter 2. Then Adonia, son of Hagith. What did he say? Yahweh is my Lord, my master. He, what did he do? He exalted himself. I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. I don't know why they do it. 50 men to run before him. Then in the brackets, the reason as to why this happened. His father had not disciplined him at any time by saying, why have you done so? Why? Because he was good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Let me tell you something. You might have tremendous potential and God might have spoken over your life. For example, my name is Vijay. What's the whole point in having Vijay if I'm only Parajay? Vijay means victorious. My brother's name is Rishi. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. I'm telling you honestly. When I took him to my friend's home, my, you know, my friend's aunt, my mother said, you are a Rakshasa. You know, you might be having potential. Everybody here, God has spoken. I know Hannah over here. I know Abigail. We have new names, Jeremiah. Boy, I mean, sometimes I feel so jealous and envious about you. Boy, I, was, I wish that Pastor James baptized me. He would have given me a new name too. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, but you know, that is potential. But you will never reach your potential and become the son that God wants you to be unless you come under discipline. And do you think discipline is enjoyable? Oh, forget it. I know my mother. Oh, it was a ringer only. It was a baptism of fire. <laughs> She's laughing, but you know, I, I joke about it because I know in hindsight, you know, wisdom is always 20-20, hindsight. Okay. Honestly, many of us have, and I used to think about it, you know, I, I know even my own cousins, right? If they come under discipline, Ayyo, why are you making him study so much? Oh, he will get tired. He is not going to die. One day you will not eat food. You will not die. Discipline. It's really, really tough. 
But you know something, if God wants us to cause us to walk in deliverance, he has to discipline us. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 3. Signal. Ledu. We are doing an airtel over here. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have, what? Forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. What is that? Exhortation? What is that exhortation? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Are you experiencing the late chastening of the Lord? Are you experiencing the discipline of the Lord? You know something, if you really want to know if God loves you or not, know if you are being disciplined or not. If God says, I don't want to touch him. If if I say one word to Vijay, I don't know what he will think about. So are you sensitive? My my chala sensitive. My abai chala sensitive. Sensitively, they will go to hell. And then in hell also, they will be very sensitive. Oh, I shouldn't have been here. Oh, I shouldn't have been here. This is too much. That's exactly what Cain said. Oh, my punishment is too much for me to bear. Oh. It's amazing, isn't it? The love of God. You murdered your brother. God knows it. And he's not going to kill you. He's not going to kill you. And he's saying... If you kill Cain, I'm going to require of you. And you're so sensitive. Oh, punishment is too much. That is Cain. It's a rebel. He'll never be a son. That's exactly what happened to all of David's sons, ironically. Sad to say, even Solomon. Why? No discipline. No correction. No chastening. That is the reason why Proverbs chapter 8 will say, whoever hates reproof loves death. So powerful, I, I should have put that. So powerful, powerful verse, whoever hates reproof loves death. It's a love-hate relationship, you see. And all scripture is breathed by God for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, especially those who have got baptized, get ready for some chastening. (laughs) Don't say, bring it on, it'll come. Don't worry. (laughs) It'll come, it'll come to you. In beautiful, gentle ways. Especially from pastor. I know him, okay? I I enjoy it. Of course, they're not very interesting when he says those things. But, come under it. You know, sometimes I say, Lord, I don't care what he says. I want to finish my course. I want to be an overcomer. Let him say what he has to say. I want to obey him. Ask God for that. So, why? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seems best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness, now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present time, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are what? Ah, trained by it. When do you train your child? Train up your child in the ways of the Lord when he is 
మొక్క ఇవ్వంగ అనేది కనకపు సింహాసనమున సునకమును కూర్చుండు పెట్టిన వెనుకటి గుణమేలమాను వినరా సుమతి ఓ యు సుమతి ఇఫ్ యు టేక్ అ డాగ్ అండ్ పుట్ ఇమ్ ఆన్ ద థ్రోన్ లాపన్ యు హ్యావ్ అధోని జాన్స్ ఐ లైక్ దట్ ఇంట్రెస్టింగ్ థింగ్ పాసిజియన్స్ సెడ్ నో మోస్ట్ ఆఫ్ అవర్ ట్రైనింగ్ ఇస్ ట్రయల్ అండ్ ఎరర్ వి ఎండ్ అప్ విత్ ఎరర్ లవ్ దట్ సి వి డోంట్ వాంట్ దట్ రైట్ వి డోంట్ ఎండ్ అప్ యాజ్ ఎరర్స్ God has spoken something into our lives and true freedom is only for a son that's what roman uh, end with that was last verse for the day john's gospel chapter 8 and jesus said if you abide in my word you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free and jesus answered them most assuredly i say to you whoever commits sin is a slave to sin and a slave does not abide in a house forever but who does a son does and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free what is the truth most of the time is correction discipline with love don't forget love also let us not just become nehemiah's will pull the beard and spank people let us also speak the truth in that is how you enjoy freedom and walk in your deliverance how many of you want to walk in our deliverance and to fulfill god's destiny in our lives let's all stand up this day and enjoy independence day for ourselves and declare freedom to be azadi dil ki okay let's pray father we thank you father for this eve evening father what a glorious privilege to see your children obeying you in the waters of baptism and all of us oh lord we just want to refresh the covenant that we made we ourselves made when we obeyed you in the waters of baptism father so many so many of us might have just lost the plot i pray father that lord you would retrace our te- steps back to your house this evening father we want to fulfill god's destiny in our lives oh lord yes lord you spoke incredible prophecies over our lives father i pray lord jesus that we will all fulfill our destinies none of us will come short of it we will come under discipline and enjoy our deliverance grant us grace to that and we pray as a church even as we have entered into the 11th year thank you lord praise you especially this morning this evening we commit all the brethren who got baptized i pray lord jesus that lord step by step one step at a time they will walk with you and all of us oh lord who have refreshed our commitment with you oh lord jesus we will also take one step at a time and begin our way back to your house lord we are your sons father 
And therefore we cry out, Abba, Father, this evening. We just cry out to you, Lord. We humble ourselves before you this morning, this evening. Oh, Lord, Lord. Father, enable us to experience your love, Father. So many of us are still trying to work out things in our own strength like slaves. Father, show us who we are and whose we are. And deliver us and make us free to love and make us free to serve. We thank you. We praise you. We give you glory, honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.